Welcome to the Advancing Surgical Care Podcast, brought to you by ASCA, the Ambulatory Surgery Center Association. ASCA represents the interests of outpatient surgery centers of every specialty and provides advocacy and resources to assist them in delivering safe, high-quality, cost-effective patient care. As with all of ASCA's communications, please check to make sure you are listening to or viewing our most up-to-date podcasts and announcements. Hello and welcome to the Advancing Surgical Care podcast brought to you by the Ambulatory Surgery Center Association, or ASCA. My name is Bill Prentiss. I'm ASCA CEO and host of this episode. My guest today is Michael Powers, the administrator of Children's West Surgery Center, a pediatric ambulatory surgery center located in Knoxville, Tennessee. Michael has more than 35 years of healthcare experience with a strong focus on pediatric ambulatory surgery care. He's also the president of the Tennessee Ambulatory Surgery Center Association Board of Directors and the author of several studies and professional publications relating to pediatric surgery center administration. Michael and I are recording the podcast today at the ASCA Conference and Expo in Dallas, Texas, where he was a presenter on the opportunities and challenges of performing outpatient surgeries and procedures on pediatric patients. We've covered a lot of topics on this podcast over the past three years, but Michael is our first guest to join us for a conversation focused on pediatric ambulatory care, and we're pleased to have him with us. Michael, welcome to the ASC Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Great. Over the last couple of years, we've had a lot of guests on to talk about the most common adult outpatient procedures, but this is our first one uh, focused exclusively on pediatric procedures, as I mentioned. So in addition to thanking you for participating in our annual meeting here in Dallas this week, I'm especially grateful to have you with us to introduce the topic of pediatric surgeries and procedures in the ambulatory surgery center setting. As a starting place, can you take me and our listeners through some of the most fundamental differences between preparing, admitting, and treating an outpatient pediatric patient as opposed to an adult who might be seen for similar or comparable procedures? A lot of the initial things are going to be the same. If you think about registration, prepping, you know, medical screening, but I think the distinct differences is going to be is when you're medical screening a, a child, um, there's a lot of other things that you're looking for. We have uh, a very involved anesthesia group that has prepared anesthesia guidelines for us and looking at reasons of why a patient would or would not be a good admission for an ambulatory surgery center. One of the things that unique about us is that we're 16 miles from the closest hospital. So a lot of pediatric ASCs or outpatient departments are actually on hospital campuses and we're not. So we're very careful in that selection. And I think the other thing, too, is we have uh, engaged our physician referrals. Uh, we prepared a very detailed little trifode brochure that sort of talks about what to expect, what to bring, uh, let them know it's okay to bring their favorite stuffed toy or their favorite stuffed blanket uh, and give them an idea. And we even encourage and offer tours, especially pre-pandemic, that they can come and they can actually walk through our facility and see what it's going to be like to try to lessen the, the fear. And I imagine that process has to be kind of twofold. You have to do it for the child, obviously, to make sure he or she's comfortable, but also the parents. I mean, they probably have their own concerns about, you know, where they're bringing their child. So I guess you have to communicate to both those audiences to make sure that they're comfortable. That is correct. And in fact, I think that's another one of the very distinct differences between us is you know, we all love our moms and dads. We all love our, our spouses, our partners, and et cetera. But it seems like that we all have a very heavy attachment to our children or grandchildren. 
And so that even we see it all the time of releasing their child to go with that nurse back through those doors, you know, into the restricted OR hallway. A lot of them have a very difficult time letting go. And so all that we can do to prepare them, um, we have besides giving, you know, some medication to relax the child to help um, prevent so much of the separation anxiety. Uh, we have some nurses who love to sing and they'll sing frozen and they'll sing other songs. And, you know, we used to, it, it's really fun and we try to make it fun, but yet, you know, be very um, intentional in what we're trying to accomplish. But no medication to, to calm down the parents or grandparents, right? Unfortunately not. <laughs> in the presentation you gave this week, you gave a statistical overview of the most common procedures that are performed at Children's West Surgery Center. And it was clear you perform far more ear, nose, and throat surgeries and procedures than any other type of specialty. Is that because of the way your center is staffed, or is it indicative of the elective pediatric surgeries you see in general? I think it's more uh, the way that we're designed. Uh, you know, I did a little research on looking, and, and I think it's going to be from region to region how things are set up. ENT is we have more investors um, that are ENT who do pediatric only. And what we have found over the last few years is our ENT physicians have been taking more market share uh, in our area. They love coming to an ASC. And honestly, they're going to come for two reasons. One is they're investors. So every case that they come bring there, not only will they get the surgical fee, but also they'll get the profit from the bottom line. But the other thing is in an ASC, as you well know, we're very efficient quick turnovers, and they can do three times the amount of cases in one day than they can in a hospital setting, outpatient setting. And I imagine over time, word of mouth amongst the patient population, those parents out there, you know, talk to each other and know, hey, this is the place to go to get this care. They did a great job with my child. That probably is also a factor, I would imagine. It is a factor. And the other thing, too, is we're, we're surprised is that, you know, they'll have siblings. And sometimes they'll come maybe at a one-month-old urology for a, a circumcision or circumcision revision. And so urology is our second largest specialty that we have per volume. Hmm. But then, you know, they had a three-year-old, then they may need their tonsils taken out. So they right. had such a great experience. We do see a lot of repeat patients coming back for different procedures. That's great. Well, before we continue, I'm going to ask that we take a short pause to hear a quick word from our podcast sponsor. We'll be right back. This episode of the Advancing Surgical Care podcast is being brought to you by National Medical Billing Services, an ASCA affiliate and leading ASC revenue cycle company that helps ASCs properly capture their revenue and maximize their cash flow in a highly compliant fashion. To learn more about National Medical Billing Services' wide range of revenue cycle services and analytics, visit nationalascbilling.com. Michael, before the break, uh, we were talking about your presentation this week at the ASCA conference. And another statistic that stood out for me was your overall paramix that showed that Medicaid from several states accounted for about half of your revenue. That's not a statistic that you typically see in a private or a public healthcare facility. I know I'm curious, and I'm sure there are listeners would be as well, to learn how that came about and what, if any, special considerations are required to serve that large of a percentage of Medicaid patients. And last, but certainly not least, I'd be interested to know how your Medicaid reimbursement compares to your commercial insurance reimbursement. Sure. 
first and foremost is I think if you look at Tennessee and they began one of the earlier initiatives of 10 care where they uh, built a program with the actual federal Medicaid to do, I think a dollar to dollar and try to work through that. So they, they spearheaded that many, many, many years ago. Currently um, in the state of Tennessee, there are four different payers that are on the Medicaid, if you will, program as a married group, 10 care select, Blue Care, which is a Blue Cross product, and United Healthcare Team Care, which is a United Healthcare product. And what we have found, starting back in about 2014, there was a steadily increase in our Medicaid population. But again, that sort of mirrors statistically what's happening in the state of TSC when it comes to kids and the healthcare coverage that they have. So we are not selective or try to prevent children who need outpatient surgery based upon what their payer mix is. But one of the things that I did early on is, um, since we are unique and different, is I prepared a, a little informational sheet, if you will, about us and why we're different and what we do. And then I invited every one of our major payers to come in to our facility to talk about who we are and what we do. I mean, honestly, when it comes to pediatrics and you're looking at a United or a Blue Cross, that's small potatoes of overall what they do. And at the end of the day, would ask for fee increases. And across the board, I think all but one said yes. And so we built that relationship with them. And so every three to four years at the end of the term, we go back and we sort of negotiate. And if the, most of the time, it's the same representative you're working with. But if that re- representative changes, then we try to get them back into the door to get them familiar with us. And that has been quite successful. So um, even though you mentioned there are lots of different Medicaid, we do have Kentucky and, and Virginia, but it's like 0.1% of our business. The volume is very, very low. And that's specifically only because of one surgeon who is a urologist, pediatric urologist, who is excellent. And he pulls some of the local, I guess, bordering states into our facility because of that. But if you look at the others um, by volume, uh, Blue Care and uh, United Tin Care are our two largest Medicaid. That is not what I normally hear uh, in, in other states. So that's great. And then obviously, I think you've, you've kind of cracked the code on how to develop that relationship with those payers in a way that's, that's you know, good for you, good for the patients, and good for the payers. So you know, kudos. Yeah, we, we've been uh, watching it very closely and with and all that. And the other parts, too, is, again, it's it's a mixture of payer mix and surgical mix, right? Right. And how that all works out. Well, let's talk about present and future trends. On the adult level, we know with some certainty that the demand for outpatient surgeries and procedures are expected to grow across the board, simply because we are living longer and leading more active lives and wearing out our body parts. What can you tell us about the trend lines in children's health and the incidence of a disease amongst younger people and how that might affect future demand for more surgery and more procedures? That is probably is the question that I've looked at is probably the most difficult one to answer. I think it's going to be regional specific. I mean, I look across the country, especially in our area of Knoxville, um, the birth rate is slightly down compared to previous years. And I'm not really seeing for the things that would be an outpatient procedure, um, a lot of instance of that growing. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's sort of 
I think the opportunity for growth is really through um, taking market share. So you don't see, for example, I've seen reports of increases in childhood obesity, for example, over the last couple of decades. Does that have any impact, do you think, on your patient volume or what you might be able to do in your facility? Actually, uh, obesity, uh, based upon how obese a patient is, would actually make them not be a good candidate for an outpatient uh, surgery. Yeah, because that gets back to the ASA rating. Exactly. So we need, you know, we do ones and twos and very few threes, and a lot of those will fall into an ASA of three, and it's and it's safer and it's best care for them to be in that hospital setting. Right, and that's obviously the key characteristic of the ASC model is patient selection and using that criteria to make sure that you're only seeing the patients that really belong there, and, and I guess that applies just as much for children as adults. It, it does, and one of the things that we're very proud of is, you know, pre-pandemic. Um, and we have three OR rooms for us, a small facility, but because of what we do and our efficiencies and turnover times, we did around 5,600 cases and we only transferred two patients for observation. Yeah, well, that's a great point because it's one of the things that has bothered me for years in terms of our quality reporting is the idea that a hospital transfer is an adverse event measure. And it's really not because oftentimes it's you finding the patient as they're walking in and and doing your pre-op checkup, identifying something that was a warning that maybe this patient should be seen in the emergency room or over at the hospital and not in your facility. And sometimes you catch those on the front end. Unfortunately, I mean, we do so much energy is spent around um, for our success is uh, contract negotiations is uh, working every day the OR schedule for efficiencies, removing gaps, right. make sure block utilization that takes place. But it comes from a safety perspective and to ensuring that we do have a good day is that patient selection and that medical screening is pivotal. And so we have a lot of resources around that part. Uh, and that's great to hear. Well, listen, Michael, this has been really interesting and informative, and I'm sure our listeners are going to really enjoy hearing about the model that you've created in Tennessee. And I want to thank you for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Great. So before concluding, I'd also like to once again thank our podcast sponsor, National Medical, an ASCA affiliate and leading ASC revenue cycle company. To learn more, visit nationalascbilling.com.